The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. You may be seated. Welcome, uh, especially those visiting with us today. Um, We're, as a faculty, going through the book of Exodus and then expanded it a little bit. But uh, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. So here, God's word. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. Half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel, when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the lives of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. I... uh, um, regularly teach historical books, and uh, in historical books, one of the passages we've looked at was David's census. And, uh, and so in studying that, I've happened upon this text a number of times, and uh, so I've wanted to, to look at it more, and so I thought we would do that this morning. Um, but it's one of those daunting texts a little bit. Uh, one of the commentators I read He actually apologized near the end because he kept saying how things were uncertain about this text. He said that so many times he was apologizing by the end. And and it does. It raises a lot of questions. There's a lot of various uh, ways we could go and look at uh, interesting questions about this. But uh, we'll look at a few of those. And I think through that we can see the central thrust of what is uh, here, what God is telling us, is, uh, is clear. And, uh, and so the first question we could ask is, why is a census dangerous? Why, uh, why is there this danger present? And we can see in our text that there's some danger present in verse 12, as it says, when you take this census, you need to provide a ransom for the life of these people. Otherwise, what will happen? There will be a plague. 
that uh, this ransom, or the Hebrew term kofar, is required. And if we look elsewhere, the, the kofar, or the ransom, it's something that somebody gave when they were under the punishment of death. Uh, and uh, so if your ox that you knew was a gore went out and gored other people and killed them, then that ox should be killed and you were also liable to judgment uh, to be killed. But they might say, no, we'll just require a ransom of you, this kofar. Um, but then another occurrence of it is in the uh, judgment on those who murder. It says that you can never have this ransom. Instead, the punishment must be death. Uh, and so there's this seriousness to it. Being numbered in a census puts you under this judgment of death that you need a ransom for. And uh, we see something similar in uh, David's census. Uh, We find there that David's action has been a guilt for all of Israel and God's wrath in the form of a plague goes out against them. But why? Why is that? If there is this sense of, of danger with the census, um, why is that there? Uh, what, uh, what are we to learn through that? Why does a census provoke God's wrath if not done rightly or is without some way to, to cover it? And I think there's probably a way that we should look and talk about different types of censuses that could happen. Um, But in general, the most helpful suggestions on how to understand this have to deal with the issues of control and exposure. That a census is about what is available there. Uh, A king, he wants to know how many soldiers he has, uh, how many taxpayers he has. And so a census was about an expression of power in many ways. It was about control of those under you. And, uh, and by that you were exerting a claim upon them. And, uh, and so many have suggested that a census in Israel has this danger partly because it is in, in one way an, affri- an infringement upon God's control upon his ownership of all of the people of Israel. Uh, it's, uh, it's going against his exclusive claim on them. But I think we should add to that too, a census also reveals. Every person is now kind of brought out as an individual. They're exposed, singled out, examined. And uh, and. In Israel, as they're brought out and examined, they're exposed before God's judicial light. Before a holy God, they're shown to be sinners. And thus, I think we could say a census, um, in many ways, reminded God of the people's guilt. And uh, thereby... Um, reminded him of his wrath against sin. And, uh, 
And, and so these, these uh, themes of control and exposure, I think we can see in the various uh, censuses we find in, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and there's different ways that they come about. In numbers, that's maybe the most famous census that you get at the beginning of the wilderness wanderings as Israel's numbered. And that one's really to prepare them as God's army, uh, to count them and number the troops for God's army. Uh, but maybe you haven't looked and noticed there, but amongst those numbered for God's army weren't the, the, the Levites were left out. Um, there's instead a second census taken of just the Levites. And that census um, relates to all the Levites a month older, older, not just those able for the army. And they're numbered because they're the firstborn, they're the substitute for the firstborn of all of Israel taken over. And, uh, and so um, they're in compensation for that. Uh, and so we, we, we can look at uh, um, these other censuses and, uh, and see various reasons why they're taken. Uh, and so that leads to the question here, why is this one to be taken? Or how are we to understand it? What, uh, what is it talking about? Is it a specific census? Or is it a general rule uh, for all the way you should conduct um, every census? And uh, here, verse 16 helps. If you look there, it says, You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting. And so there's a specific thing that this money of the census is to go for. This work of the tent of meeting, uh, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Well, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to go for this work of the tent of meeting? Some look at that and they say, well, God's made, right, through uh, Moses here. He's, he's, he's set out for this tabernacle and, and now you need a way to continue to supply what it needs. You need uh, yearly upkeep. And we have later examples of, of a temple tax that uh, every Jew would, play, would pay. Uh, and so some argue that maybe that's what we have here. Uh, the problem is, it's not set out as this uh, thing that continues year after year. Uh, it's spoken as when you take a census or the census of the people, um, then do this. It's not a provision. Do it year after year. Uh, and, uh, and if we look in the context we can find that it really is a more specific census for the construction of the tabernacle. Uh, and, uh, and this is where the term, the work of the tent of meeting, it usually isn't of the sacrificial system. Uh, instead, in our context here, it's very much about the making of the tabernacle. And, uh, and so we can find that the same word is used in uh, Exodus 39, 32, um, where you get, and thus all the work, same term there in Hebrew, of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. They finished making it. And, uh, and this is confirmed by chapter 38. In chapter 38, 
in 25 through 28, we're given a record, it's in this record, of everything that went into this glorious tabernacle that was made. And there we read, starting with verse 25, The silver from those of the congregation who were recorded was a hundred talents and 1,775 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary, a beka ahead, that is half a shekel, by the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone who was listed in the records from 20 years old and upward for 603,550 men. The hundred talents of silver were for casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, a hundred bases for the hundred talents, a talent a base. And of the 175 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their capitals and made fillets for them. So if you notice there, it's a reference to the money collected from a census. There were that many people. Everybody paid their half shekel. This is how much was collected. And this is what it went toward as far as the work of the tabernacle. It went towards this construction. It was these bases for the frames that would support the tabernacle structure itself. Uh, And so I think we can conclude from that that chapter 30 here is not about census in general, but it's about this particular one. Uh, This one that uh, dealt with the, uh, the construction of the tabernacle. And, uh, and so we, we, we come, and really that raises or leads into that third question that many ask. Um, you're reading along here and chapter 30. You know, you just read in chapter 29 about uh, the consecration of the priests. You had all their garments. You were reading in chapter 30 about the altar of incense, Um, Later on in 30, you read about the bronze basin, the anointing oil, and all these things. Many have wondered, why do we have a rule for a census right here? How does it fit with the tabernacle? This text that gives the instructions on Moses, what he's supposed to do for the tabernacle. Why have this rule about a census stuck there? And, uh, And with what we gathered... It's here because this was a way of gathering what was needed for the construction of the tabernacle. Amongst those instructions are the instructions of how to get the various resources needed. Uh, Back in chapter 25, God tells them about a free will offering where people can bring everything in. But here is another place where he gathers from the people what is needed for this tabernacle. That uh, is, uh, um, is going to be used in its construction. Well, all right, we've had these various questions. Now, how do we draw this together? What, uh, what are we to, to make of all this? What conclusions can we come to? And, and I would argue, though it's not told explicitly here, but there's good warrant to say that there's some census that was undertaken during this time, during this period when uh, Israel is coming 
together with God at Sinai in this covenant making and uh, this making of the tabernacle. And it's really a part of them being formed as the community, them being formed as the congregation, as this people of God. Who is in Israel? Well, this census sets that out. And yet this census shows the problem that the whole mosaic is concerned with. How can there be a relationship between a holy God and a sinful people? How can that come about? Because just to be numbered amongst this community is to have your guilt exposed. And as soon as you're numbered, you already need to pay a ransom for your soul, for your life. And so the census and this half-shackle tax is God providing a way for Israel to come to him. God providing this way to save Israel from himself, from his righteous wrath against their sin. And, uh, and yet this ransom, this offering as it's called in, uh, in verse 15, this atonement money as it's called in verse 16, it also performs another function, another purpose. And here it's important to notice in verse uh, 14 and uh, in verse 15 more specifically that everybody had to give it and everybody had to give the same amount. Notice there 15. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less. It's a half shekel for everybody. Everybody needs to provide this. And its provision goes towards what, we said? Well, it goes towards those bases that we could say that foundation of the tabernacle. And that uh, leads us to the end of verse 16. That this money, this money given as a ransom, it has another function. It's, uh, you're supposed to take this money, make it into these bases, as we found later, give it for the service of the tent of meeting. And what is that purpose? That it may bring the lives of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. Remembrance, remembering, is a very important term in a covenant. It's the way in which you um, carry out your part. To remember in a covenant is to do what is required of you. And so Israel was often called to remember. They had the feast days. And what do you do on the feast days? Well, you remember what God has done. Uh, the Passover. Uh, you're supposed to remember that exodus and not only that, you have the kids ask and they find out what it is that happened. Well, there were also these things in the mosaic that were to remind God. That were 
these reminders to God so that he would remember Israel, so that he would remember his covenant obligations to Israel. And the one other one in the context here is that high priestly garment had that ephod, whatever it looked like, with all these various stones. But on two of those, the names of all the tribes were written. And it says that's done so that it would be this remembrance before the Lord for Israel. Every time that high priest would go in, it would be a reminder to God of his covenant with his people as those names are brought before him, as they're brought into his presence. And uh, we can read later in Numbers, another time this remembrance is used there to make these trumpets. And every time they go out to war, they're to blow these trumpets. And they're to be this reminder to God of his covenantal obligations to come and help them in the battle. And, uh, and they blow these trumpets also when they feast before him. And so here we have this money, this ransom taken and built into the very structure, the foundation of the tabernacle, this reminder to God of every Israelite that he is in, in uh, covenant with, that those bases are to be this reminder to God of his covenant obligations with Israel. The whole congregation has a part in it, equally has a part in it, as each and every one has contributed their half shekel. And yet we could say, God doesn't really need a reminder, does he? Uh, He doesn't forget. These reminders, in the end, are really to comfort Israel. That God is the one in covenant with them, the one who's watching over them, the one who's fighting their battles for them, the one who's providing atonement. And Israel continued to need that reassurance throughout their life, especially after the exile. And so we find a very similar idea of remembrance as Isaiah looks and and speaks to those exiles who will come back in Isaiah 49, verse 16. He says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. They were remembered by God. Well, that exile, really as we look through it, this whole mosaic system, even this census, it all showed that problem. How can a holy God have a relationship with a sinful people? That ransom paid in silver, that blood of the bulls and goats, it was all shown to be insufficient. A greater ransom, a greater sacrifice was needed. God himself being incarnate as our Savior, as the one who paid with his blood. And Jesus is now also intercessing for us. We could say he's the one reminding God of his covenant to us. 
showing us that, uh, reminding God of, of what he has promised and given to us, of all our needs, of all that we have in this world. And yet again, is it because God forgets? No, it's, it's for our comfort that we need to remember that, that we need to think of that. That each and every day as we struggle in this world, struggle against the world, the devil, and even our own flesh, we need a reminder of that comfort. That we are the redeemed. We have one who intercedes for us. We have one who will come again. And we will be conformed to his image in that day fully and finally. So, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that when you look on us in ourselves, that we are seen as the sinners, that we are those who naturally hate you and hate our neighbor. And so we are so thankful and we rejoice so greatly that when you look on us, you see now the righteousness of Christ forgiveness brought about through his blood. And so we can have this sure hope in this world. We don't need to have that yearly reminder of sin shown in Old Testament Israel in the sacrificial system because it's been once for all time completed in the sacrifice of Christ. And we pray that you continue to spur us on in this world and in the task that you've called us to as we live lives of gratitude and thankfulness to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.